He's a sulky, over-funky, kinda hulky superhero. A two-fisted and electrically transistored superhero. An exotically neurotic and aquatic superhero. The Marvel superheroes have arrived. Hello, welcome to Marvel Vision, a Marvel Studios podcast brought to you by Cinema Sangha. My name is Devin Faraci. I'm one of the hosts of this program. Joining me as he traditionally does... My name is Derek Faraci, and I don't think I'll find the love I want, the love I'm searching for in this machino. Um, so I texted you before we began the show and said I was going to be a little bit late because Brittany's little nephew broke his arm. Oh, no. Did you not get the text? No, I didn't. Oh, boy. Well, I texted you. I'm, I don't uh, doubt that you did, but my, my phone is over elsewhere. Ah, well, that's why I'm a little bit late today is because he broke his arm and she was on the phone with his mother, her sister. And it made me realize something. Um, I never broke a bone. Have you, you never broke a bone either, right? Or did you? Yeah. No. It's funny because I think for a regular family, like a kid breaking his arm is like, oh, wow, I'm so sorry to hear that. But I think because we grew up in a household where nobody broke bones, it sounds like a total fucking crisis to me. (laughs) Like an impossible (laughs) crisis. When I first moved here to Michigan, like two weeks into living in Michigan, I was with my buddy Than, and we were doing something, and he gets a call, and it's his wife, Andrea, and she says, your son, our child, Logan, fell at the park and cut his head open, and we're at the hospital. So we drive over to the hospital, and everyone we're sitting in the hospital, right, and we're in the room, and he's got this huge gash on his head, and the doctor's like, I'm just going to sew it up. And they're all acting like it's nothing. And the whole time I'm sitting there like, this is terrible. How could this happen? And they're like, what? This is what happens with kids. I'm like, no, it never happened to me. I never needed stitches. My, as far as I know, you never had stitches. It's like a strange universe to me in this concept. You know, I, yeah, I never had stitches either and never broke a bone. But I think when you're a parent, there's like such a level of injury that occurs that you kind of have to take it in stride. But also yeah. I bet that your friend Than has had stitches and so he's been through it. So he doesn't, well, my, doesn't my friend feel, Than had his leg run over by a lawnmower when he was a kid. So he's had, so he must have got at least two or three stitches on that. I think he got, I think he got one, one <laughs> well, long. He's a very tough guy. Of, so I can believe he just got one stitch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just give him one. I'll take care of it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, I just, I just made me realize like, we must be one of the more unique households that neither one of us broke any bones our entire lives. We are true indoor kids. <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah, but this kid broke his arm in the bedroom. Oh, really? He was climbing okay. on something and fell down. Okay. I think we you probably did, did pull my arm out of the socket. Don't forget I that. I did do that. Yeah, I did do yeah. that. Uh, I think it comes out every now and again. I think we did less climbing around. Like Spider-Man. Spider-Man's arm comes out of his socket sometimes. Yes. Well, that's how we fixed it at the time was like – when Spider-Man's arm comes out, he just slams it into a wall until it goes back in. You got to do that. And then surprisingly, that doesn't actually fix it. And so now I just have a, a lifelong injury. So Well, I'm sorry. That's all right. <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. I'm sorry. No, it's, it's fine. It's, it's not a, a problem. It's a fun uh, story. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> speaking of fun stories, you had a night last night. Yes, I, I went to a... Uh, a live show of the What's Up Weirdo podcast, which is all about uh, paranormal stuff, mm-hmm. and hung out with paranormal people, and went to Guzzling Alley afterwards, which is a dive bar in in, uh, in Detroit, in Michigan. Wait, so you're time. you're pounding around with rival podcasts? I, are they rival podcasts? I, all I, podcasts they, are rival stars. They discuss different things than we do. 
doesn't matter. There's only so many hours in a day that someone can listen to a podcast. All podcasts are all rivals. Okay. I didn't, I didn't know that. Our podcast demands from our listeners between 10 to 15 hours a week, a month. Like that's what it demands. So if they listen to all three podcasts, it's 10 to 15 hours a month. Uh, and so that means that any other podcast is eating up any other, even if it's just four hours a month. It's really a yes. problem for us. I was uh, explaining that to somebody uh, the, like two days ago on the phone. I was like, yeah, the podcast that we do, we do three different podcasts. And on, on average, on a week where we do all three, if somebody listens to all three, they're getting about – 10 to 12 hours of us that week. <laughs> and the person was like, like, and people listen because who could listen to the two of you for 12 hours? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. They mostly use it in prisons. That's actually yes. where most of our, most of our subscribers are prison wardens and they use yeah. this to torture the, the, the inmates in solitary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I was listening to a podcast uh, myself today and their guest was Dan Carlin who oh. has hardcore history yes, and he does five podcast. hour episodes. So yes, it's not just us. Yeah. He does extremely detailed and historical stuff though. Like well, that's very different from us, but yes. it is long though. We're both, I'm just saying we're both long. Yes. Yeah. And if uh, you take like everything, like your average last podcast on the left story that they do over multiple episodes, that's a good six, seven hours too. So yeah, but they break it go. up over six, seven weeks. So yeah. We don't yeah. do that. No. Well, we do. We just, you know, because we're doing shows. So it's every week is longer. Um, I, you sent me a picture, though, last night uh, of the uh, Attack from Mars pinball machine. Yes. So last, in a previous episode of one of these podcasts, I talked about going to this new um, comic book store in my neighborhood that's also a pinball arcade. And they had Attack from Mars uh, at the arcade. And Attack from Mars was a game... From I think the early two thousands, late nineties, is that what it is? I would I would guess late nineties. And it was like part of the resurgence of pinball. Pinball had been dead for a minute, and this game and like medieval madness were a couple of pinball machines that really I think brought them back. Adam's family. Adam's family was a huge and Star Trek. There was that Star Trek Next Generation game. Pinball game yeah. was huge as well. Yeah. Um and uh we really enjoyed them. But Derek, um, it almost ruined his life. Yes. And it's funny because for me it was drugs and alcohol, but for you yes. it's attack from Mars. <laughs> It's Attack from Mars. What happened? Tell the story. I uh, They had it on my college campus, and I went and played it all the time to the point that uh, I essentially wasted an entire year of college just playing Mars Attacks. Or Attack how, on, much, or Attack on Mars. how much um, money did you spend? Not that much because I was really good at it. Ah. So, like, I could last a long time on a quarter, you know? And I played it just endlessly, and I loved it. I loved it so much. Did you play so, it last so night? Much. I did not. Cause I can't because I know I'll get hooked into it. Like, have you ever seen that episode of uh, News Radio, Stargate Defender? Yeah. Where it's sadly extremely close to my story as well, where in <laughs> yes. that it's Dave screwed up his SATs because he was up all night playing Stargate Defender, and then they get Stargate Defender at the office, and he stays up all night playing it. And has to go take the SATs for like because it's a sitcom and that's how these things work, and that's how it would have been. I would have just sat there and just played it all night. I'd been like, "This is it," and then like at closing time, I'd have been like, "I can't leave. Just shut the door. I'm, <laughs> I'm here forever now." 
<laughs> I mean, I feel it. That that that's me in a beer, but uh, it's uh, that, that. But that doesn't mean that your thing is any less significant. Uh, there are many things that we get addicted to, yes. and the problem is how they impact our lives, not like yes. how serious the thing is. It's about how no. it impacts yeah. our lives. So yeah. for you, almost messing up a whole year of school, that's a pretty significant impact. That's a huge impact. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. Uh, but I, I do mean, think it I does. mean, you're, you, you know, we are a family of with addictive personalities. We sure are. And but I, 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 I do think it's kind of delightful um, that uh, that the two of us. I think that really describes elements of our personalities, though. Is that my problem is drug and al- drugs and alcohol, and your problem is Attack from Mars? That really just sort of describes us. It's cigarettes. Very nicely. I was I was quite the smoker. You for were a, a big smoker. Time. That's right. I forgot. Yeah. I always forget that you were a big smoker. Yeah. Yeah. I smoked for a very long time, and uh, and it was very hard to quit. It's still how long hard. has it been since I quit? Yeah, maybe six, seven years. I think. There you go. That's great. Congratulations. It's very hard. It's very hard. I'm going to be six years sober this year. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's good. Good for both of us. Good for us both. We're doing it. We're doing it. We're doing it. Hey, did you watch the Chippendale movie yet? Not yet, no. It's fucking terrific. No. I was going to watch it before we recorded, but I was it was like 8.30, and it was like an hour and like 40 minutes or something. I was like, oh, I don't know if I have enough time right now. So I would have given you the 10 minutes, it. dude. I would have given you the 10 minutes. It's a terrific yeah. movie. If you I, were I listening, just I watched some of that Angeline show instead. Uh, they shot that in my neighborhood. I Did saw they? them shooting it, yeah. Um, if you're listening to this and you have the Disney Plus, I really, and you probably do because we're talking about Marvel TV shows here, um, I really do recommend the new Chippendale Rescue Rangers movie. It's incredible. And yeah. um, it might actually, I was joking about this, but I think it might actually take place in the Roger Rabbit universe. Oh, yeah? Roger Rabbit's in it, right? And okay. so that that doesn't inherently say it's in the Roger Rabbit universe. Do you know what I mean? Like Because yeah. it's it's the same premise. Like There's like cartoons and real people. Yeah. And the cartoons are actors, right? So like yeah. the idea that Roger Rabbit could just be an actor in a world where they made Roger Rabbit sure. is totally reasonable. However, yeah. late in the movie, a bad guy is going over his torture weapons and one of the items on his torture weapon sheet is a bottle of dip. Oh, there you go. So I think it might actually be like quietly set in the Roger Rabbit universe. Now what's interesting about this is that the movie opens in 1982. Okay. And Chip and Dale live somewhere in the Midwest and they're just cartoon kids that go to a person school. Really? So after Roger Rabbit, segregation ended. Interesting. And tunes made their way out into the rest of the country. Well, there you go. Look at that. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? One of our news stories uh, suggests that it takes place in a different universe. Interesting. Well, I guess that's a good segue to talk about the news then, isn't it? Yeah. I guess we'll start with that one. Go ahead. Uh, the theory is that Chip and Dale takes place in the Snyderverse because the Zack Snyder Batman shows up in it. <laughs> he does. <laughs> and this is a slight spoiler for a joke. It's not a spoiler for the story. It's just a little joke. It shows up in a movie called Batman versus E.T. Yep. And uh, he does fight E.T. on screen. <laughs> it's pretty wild. <laughs> it's wild in multiple ways in that one, that this is – Arguably the closest we've gotten to a Marvel DC crossover at this point. This means 
somebody at Disney was talking to somebody at Warner Brothers and made a deal. I'm not convinced. So I'm not really sure. There's a lot of characters in this that they had to make deals to get, like 100%. And I'm surprised because in this modern competitive environment, who wants to give Disney access to one of your characters, right? Like they're, yeah. the, they're, the, they're the guys eating your lunch. So why would you want to give Disney Especially, access? There were no Disney characters in uh, Ready Player One, right? I don't think so. So Disney would not let Warner Brothers use their characters. Right. But they, Warner Brothers was like, yeah, you can use Batman. Go but for I'm it. not convinced that they actually got permission for Batman. Batman's only seen in name. they use his name and he's only seen in silhouette, but it's clearly a set a parody. Yeah. Like it's like clearly a parody. There are some characters that show up as themselves. They just are the character running around. Yeah. Like He-Man and Skeletor are in this movie as He-Man and Skeletor. Okay. Um they're 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 signing at a convention. So they are definitely just He-Man and Skeletor, right? But the, the Batman versus E.T. is a movie that we first see a billboard for, and then we see somebody watching it on television. Okay. So it's not in the Snyderverse, first of all, because the Snyderverse exists in this universe, but the Snyderverse is different in this universe because there are tunes. And so things have really been changed around a little bit in this world. So now it's Batman versus E.T. as opposed to Batman versus Superman. Yeah. Um, but also they never show Batman. They only show Batman in silhouette, more or less. They don't really show um, a lot of Batman. This um, picture I'm looking at it seems is to it the Is it the billboard? No, it's uh, him on somebody's TV. Yeah, but it's just like his it's just his silhouette, isn't it? I mean, you you can you see, see his eyes. ears and he's got the glowing eyes yeah. from the the armor suit. But, but I you think, can see like his bottom face part. Yeah, I, I mean, I think enough. that <laughs> I don't know if they got permission for that or if that's enough to do parody. There's some yeah. stuff in this where I'm like, I think this might be enough to just be a parody. They didn't have to ask anybody for this. Yeah. Like there's a bit where um Chip and Dale are being put through a machine that's going to change their animation style. Okay. And like there are like different kinds of versions of them on a screen, including like a Rick and Morty version of them and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. And so I don't think you had to go contact Rick and Morty people to do that. No, because that'd be like homage parody. Right. Because I think they're not doing Rick and Morty. They're yeah. Then there's also like one of the, the big plot lines is that they're the bad guy is taking tunes and he is um bootlegging them. He is removing their copyrighted aspects and then making them star in bootleg movies. Oh wow. And so we see a bootleg Simpsons. Okay. Uh it was Bart Bart Simpson yells, I Pachanga. Uh <laughs> But like, I don't think you have to get permission from Fox for that. Although I guess well, they own, Disney they own owns yeah, I guess the they own the Simpsons. So, so they could have yeah. just they could have just had the Simpsons. Yeah. Um, but there are characters in this that are just the characters uh, themselves. You know what I mean? I for, you know it's so funny. I forgot that they own the Simpsons. I always forget that they own that, even though it's on Disney Plus. Yeah. But there's a lot of characters in it, and they do a lot of references, and um, I think it's done well. Okay. Traditionally, I'm not a big fan of the "Hey, look at this person." Um, did you, you saw the big thing that made the internet meltdown about this movie, right? Uh, the ugly Sonic. Yeah. Yeah. He's like a significant character in the movie. Really? Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, they, he's a significant character and they keep focusing on his teeth. That's wild. It's incredible. And he talks about how the internet hates him. <laughs> Very interesting. It's a terrific fucking movie. It's really, yeah. really good. Yeah. I, I yeah, really yeah. highly recommend it. Um, it's on my list for the weekend is yeah, watching, like watching the new kids in the hall again and then uh, and watching that and watching some MST because everybody I, wanna, I don't know when this is when you're going to put this one up but everybody this weekend has to watch kids in the hall because apparently they're going to decide this weekend if they get another season or not. Well, I started watching, so I'll, I'll cram a whole bunch more over the weekend. It's really good. It's really good. And the, the documentary is fantastic, too, by the way, the uh, comedy punks. 
is really great. It's, it's split into two parts for some reason, into two episodes. I don't know why they did that. That's interesting. But I mean, it works. The, the format of it works. But I was like, I wonder why they did it as two, two, two episodes instead of just a two-hour documentary. But there you go. I think because people watch episodes more than they watch documentaries, they'll watch nine yeah. hours of a thing if it's in episodes. Yeah, yeah. If you put true. a nine-hour documentary up, if you put Showa up as a full-length yeah. documentary, nobody's going to sit through it. Yeah. But they'll sit through six episodes of a Holocaust documentary. Um, yes. All right, what, what other news do we have? Well, I think we can continue a little bit on that uh, Chip and Dale talk about uh, removing what makes a character special and, and so that you can make copies of them in that uh, Marvel has made a deal with Pow to keep using Stan Lee even though he's dead. It's and just really have him keep showing up in movies and stuff. It's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. It's terrifying. It's the sickest thing I've ever seen. Yep. It really, it legitimately is like one of the sickest things I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. The, but you know, actually, what's really even crazier? I don't think Stan would mind. No, I don't think he'd mind at all. I think he would be into it, actually. Like, if he, if he told him, like, we're going to get a 30 year contract with your corpse and we're going to have people play you in the parks and, like, play you in movies and stuff like that, he'd be like, He'd be like, Excelsior. Like, he would be really into it, I think. And moving on, uh, we discussed this last week at, when it was rumor. Now it's truth. Wonder Twins has been canceled. The Wonder Twins movie is not moving forward. Bad week for KJ Apa. They also canceled Riverdale. Well, it gets one more season, right? They're doing like a final season. Yeah, I guess they're doing a final season, but he's going to be out yeah. of work. Yeah. Yeah. I hope, I'm sure I'll find something. Well, always guys like that always think that they're going to become movie stars. So I guess we'll see what happens. Maybe, maybe he will. Who knows? Who knows what the future holds Who for KJ? Who can say? Who can say? Who would have imagined seven seasons of Riverdale? Is it really that long? Yeah, that's when they finished their seventh season. And I think like it might have even been a little bit longer than that because I feel like they might have had like an off season for COVID. I think they might have like yeah. come late. So yeah. it's almost a that's decade wild. of Riverdale. That is, well, you know what the mistake they made was they brought in uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch and her show got canceled because of COVID. And then they were like, well, now we have to cancel you too. We're not allowed to <laughs> to do these things, which is too bad because I really did like the Sabrina show. Uh, it's too bad. I really wanted to see a Wonder Twins movie. Yeah, I was I was kind of excited about it. I was hoping that they would base it on the, the recent miniseries they did in the comics and – I guess now we'll never see it. We'll never see it. And I, I suspect it's because the new CEO of Warner Brothers, there was an article about him coming in and being like, what the fuck are you guys doing at the studio? And yeah. he specifically pointed out the Clint Eastwood movie Cry Macho. Yeah, people got real mad online about that. I mean, I actually kind of agree. I don't. Um, mm, tell me I, why. You, I, I, I think when he's like, why, why do we make this movie? And the, the answer is like, well, none of us thought it was going to be good or would do well. But, you know, it's Clint Eastwood. So you just let him make his movies. And it's like, no, that's... That's not how you run a, a business. <laughs> like, uh, but that's the problem is that movies are not just a business. That's the secret. The secret is that movies are more than just a business. They are a business for sure. Yes. But they're more than that. So like the thing is, so, you know, what happened is he sat down in a meeting. He looked at the numbers on Cry Macho, the latest Clint Eastwood movie, and it bombed. And he's like, why did you guys make this movie? And they said, oh, we didn't think it'd be any good. But we, Clint has done so much for the studio that we just let him do whatever he wants. And he goes, we don't owe him anything. We're no longer doing anything with Clint Eastwood. And... The problem there, there's two problems here. One is that this is a sense when you when you get so deep into being a business, um, I think that you lose sight of what actually makes good movies. Um, the, the, so on Paramount Plus, the offer, 
terrible yeah. show. But I think it does capture some of this tension between the idea of like what's going to be a good movie and what's going to make money and how do we find that space in between. And if you lean too hard on what's going to make money, you end up in a bad position because you're not making good stuff and people eventually will stop coming because they're going to yeah. eventually not like the stuff you're putting out. You can only trick them for so long, right? But the other piece of it is, and, the, and maybe the more, this is the thing I would have explained to the CEO, <clears throat> the value of it is that you get to say you gave Clint Eastwood free reign to do whatever he wants. That means that you're a, a filmmaker-friendly studio. And you have a couple of filmmakers that you do that with. It's prestige to do that. And so yes. it sets you apart, and it also, it also convinces other filmmakers and other people to come work with you because you're a creatively friendly space. Now, if you're the guy that just does bottom line, nobody wants to go fucking work there. Because the thing is that, like, you know, once upon a time when it was just the studio system and you were under contract, that's different. But today, yeah. when you have the choice, if you're especially if you're a high profile director, everybody's trying to land for their big blockbuster, you're not going to want to work at the studio that's consistently choosing money over art. And I, I agree. And but I, also, I think it's important to look and be like, okay, what was the last uh, Clint Eastwood movie that people liked? No, it's been well. a minute, and I I'm probably Gran Torino. I mean, it's been a minute, right? So it's been a minute. So since Gran Torino, he's made one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten movies. Yeah, and I, even if we want to go American Sniper, because American Sniper was like it was a huge hit. Actually, one, that's two, three, okay. So, five. That's, so five. that's five movies since American Sniper that all bombed. Right, Sully didn't do well. Five, Fifteen, Seventeen to Paris didn't do well. Mule, Richard Jewell, Crime Macho. That, at a certain point, okay. it's like. Richard did, did okay, but at a certain point, you got to be like, yes, we're director friendly, but also this director is not doing good work anymore. Yeah, but the thing is, so Crime Macho costs thirty million dollars. That's nothing. That's nothing. I for agree. These studios, and so what you get for thirty million dollars, you get a couple of things. One, you get content for your streaming service, right? Yeah, that's important. Like you need to load content up on your streaming service. You need new stuff. It's interesting if you look at what's been trending on Netflix. It's been shit like U.S. Marshals lately. And um, people are just willing to watch anything that feels like it's new to them and has stars in it. Yes. So Crime Macho all of a sudden becomes a thing for your streaming service. It becomes also a thing for selling people packaged DVD or Blu-ray sets, Clint Eastwood, the later years, right? That's part of it. Like You have to look at it that way. But then also just at $30 million for this movie – I mean, like, I play his last not fucking just that movies. Movie. His it, last five it, movies probably cost less than the last fucking Fantastic Beasts. Probably, yeah. Right? So, like, why not just do it? Like, just do it because he might he might make another fucking Oscar movie. He might make another American Sniper. But at worst case scenario, what he's going to do is convince other filmmakers that this is a place they want to go work. And I think that's worth the $30 million a picture. Is to convince filmmakers they want to come work here um, in a studio that's had a lot of fucking problems over the last 10 years. Yes. And a studio that has not been able to find its footing in some of its biggest IPs. Yeah. And a studio that maybe might be micromanaging them at this point. I think that you want to be able to point to a couple of filmmakers and say, well, we really take care of this guy. And then, you know, hot filmmaker X says, you know, I mean, like, that's the kind of thing, like, if you're trying to get the Daniels into a fucking blockbuster, knowing that Warner Brothers has a quote unquote reputation for being uh, creative friendly makes it makes a difference in their decision making process. I don't. I, I agree, but I also think there is there is a point where you have to be like, well, we're creator friendly, but we can't just keep giving you money to make movies that don't that people don't like. Like maybe if the, those last five movies also like were well reviewed or well received, but they weren't, right? So it's like like they're not just losing money. Also, nobody liked them. You know, there's a separation there. You know, where it's like if the movie. 
was well received, and you can be like, look, it was nominated for a bunch of stuff and blah, 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 blah. Then you have something there like that you can fall back on. But when it's just like, oh, these movies, nobody wanted them. Nobody saw them. Nobody was interested in them. Eh, I mean, like, I think that they got I think they got like middling reviews the last one. I mean, I don't think it got huge Crime reviews. Macho has like a 23% on Rotten Tomatoes. It has a 57%. Oh, 57. Okay. Um, but Rotten Tomatoes, you can't really judge that because the some of those reviews might be mixed and then they mark it as negative. Yeah. And it doesn't give a space for stuff where you're like, eh, it was all right. Um, so, I mean, I think they got a lot of like, eh, it's all right. This is a weird movie. It's kind of a weird film. Uh, it's kind of it, – people are very uncomfortable with Clint Eastwood's um, politics. That I think goes a long way to some of the reviews that he gets as a result. Um, I haven't even seen the movie. I'm never going to – I can't imagine sitting through my macho. But, um, but – uh, The only thing I liked about it is I got to make a good joke where I said I can't believe Clint Eastwood made a sequel to Cry Wilderness. There you go. Um yes. But I, I just – for me, I just think it means not understanding – and I'm not even going to use Eastwood as necessarily the ultimate example, but he kind of is the ultimate example because he's a fucking icon. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like to have Eastwood on your lot to – they had they named a fucking a recording stage after him on, on the Warner Brothers lot. Yes. When you go – there's just a fucking Eastwood recording stage. So I mean I think that to not understand the value of these things – and that, that the, the, the business is one part money but one part perception and prestige and that perception and prestige is really important. That I think – I mean this is the reason why we have to go back to – let's take it back to superhero stuff, right? This is the reason why Fox would not let Marvel get Fantastic Four back because even though they could not make a movie that worked or did particularly well, they couldn't risk Marvel making one that worked <laughs> even though it wouldn't cost them any money. Because the prestige of it is so fucking bad. Like it looks yeah. bad for them. Like we, we couldn't pull it off, but Marvel did. And yeah. that looks really terrible for them. So they had to hold on to those rights by the skin of their teeth, not because they believed in the property and not because they necessarily had a vision for it or thought that they could do it well, but because they could not allow Marvel to make money on a thing they could not make money on. That's not good business, but it's Hollywood and that's how Hollywood works. Yes. And I think that's the thing you have to understand. So when a guy comes in and he's running your studio and he doesn't seem to understand how Hollywood works, there's always guys that come in and think they're going to like fix it or like do it different, but it never works. Because the Hollywood is a place that's not just about making money, but it's about people come there. They come there and get abused because they have dreams of being there. Yes. So they'll put up with all kinds of shit. And you have to, to maintain that system where people will come in and give their sweat and their blood and their tears and their time and all their talent for not enough money, many of them. Right, and we talk about who gets really well paid, but like there's a million people that make movies happen in this town who don't get well paid, and those people, the reason why they're there is because they believe in the thing, and once you begin turning the thing into just a product, nobody believes in it anymore, and they don't want to come there and you know intern for free for three years or whatever, like and so and then you don't attract the best people. Hollywood's in a problem place right now where the best people maybe are going to like video games. Right, that's like well, the most maybe the most young creatives are going is to like video games, and 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 I, and I so got you, bad news for them. <laughs> no, I know. It's, it's, bad, it's bad news everywhere, right? But I'm saying that that's where the interests go. Uh, they're you know they're competing with TikTok and YouTube. Yeah. Right. And so, what do you do? You have to maintain the prestige. What do you, what do you what's the difference between a guy that has 50 million followers on YouTube and Warner Brothers? Warner Brothers has Clint Eastwood, and that like means something, even if it doesn't make them any money. And you, nobody's ever going to take that YouTuber that seriously until he comes to the studio that has Clint Eastwood and then is anointed by being in this space. Okay. That I think right. is the thing. So I, I think you have to understand the 
the two worlds in which Hollywood operates. And the fact that when this guy comes in, doesn't understand this, I, he may say like, we're done, we're out of the Clint Eastwood business. We, we've, it's been a good run, but we're, you know what? We're out of it now. He's very fucking old and his movies are not any good anymore. Um, but to, but to not understand why they're still in the Clint Eastwood business, I think belies a tremendous lack of understanding of how the business works. I think the business has always worked that way. You know, at a certain point, people were like, Hey, for every great director at some point studios were like well, we're not going to work with this guy anymore right no 100% there's, no, like, right, that's right. not a new thing that's not like this guy f- was the first to come up with the idea of not working with somebody that the studio worked with before you know I mean, yeah, of course. I mean, like, studios will always break ties with directors, especially as directors get old. Uh, there's a couple of pr- super prestige directors that people like to keep around, but generally speaking, they'll break ties eventually, and they it's fine to break ties with Clint Eastwood. That's not like the, that's not the issue. The issue is coming in not understanding why there are ties to Clint Eastwood. That's the part. That that's well, the thing. I, I don't think it's fair to say he does know why there were ties to Clint Eastwood because it's one sentence that somebody said like you won't believe what he said in this meeting and it's uh, like but, no i agree but i think the thing is the reason why this person said that is because they're trying to illustrate how this guy does not understand how the how the thing works that's what they're I using think, that sentence to illustrate that yes i think but again i think it's one sentence from a meeting where we don't know what was being said and that's one person who's like i just agree with this guy's decision we don't like he might have said in the meeting like clint's been great you know the studio's been great with clint clint's been great with the studio but it's over. Like, there's a certain point where you just walk. You, you gotta, you know, you gotta let them go. No, of course. I mean, obviously, we're not we're not in the room. It's not on, it's not on yeah. tape, right? But you have to sort of take the source at its face value. He's 91 years old. <laughs> you have to take the source. That's actually part of the reason why I don't even know why you bother because he's going to be dead in three years. Although his mom left at like 107 or something like that. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I just it. I yeah. I, I have to having been in 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 the that space in that journalism space and having gotten stories from people, the way that it works is that very often when you're getting a story like that from somebody they're they have a political reason for it, like an office politics reason for it. They're trying to hurt the, somebody. Yes. Um, and that's fine. I mean, like, you know that, like as you're doing it, you know that, um, like, like as you're the reporter getting it, you know that you're getting somebody with an ax to grind and you have to try to kind of figure out like where the, where the bitterness ends and the truth begins. But eventually you kind of have to just take it at face value until you get a better version of the story. And very often these stories, even with the bitterness, are actually pretty true. So I don't – and I have been around long enough to see a number of people come into these worlds and um, not really get it. Or even people that are part of these worlds forever and not really get it. I mean like the classic example is Tom Rothman, the guy that said no robots in an X-Men movie. Yeah. I mean like crazy, like crazy. But he had like a personal fucking thing about it. Yes. And so these things happen, right? So I don't know. I just, it's actually funny because the new episode of The Offer, terrible show. I can't stop watching it. In the latest episode, James Gandolfini's son appears as a Texan. Sure. In a show about a movie about Italians full of mobsters, fucking Michael Gandolfini comes and goes, How y'all doing? <laughs> it's just like so fucking silly. Um, but in this episode, Robert Evans has to go to Paramount to Gulf and Western, the parent company of Paramount, and has to convince the board why do you keep Paramount? Paramount's losing money, and the Godfather is getting bad press. Yeah. Why do you keep Paramount? And he gives this whole speech about dreams and storytelling and these things, and this is what people really want, and this is where you can make money with this. But it's about more than money, and he saves the studio. And and yeah. I I think that that's it's interesting that these two stories that this episode aired right around the time this story broke because it feels like the same kind of a thing where the people in charge maybe lose sight of what the point of the shit is. And it's not just making money because there's better ways to make money. 
Yes. So. All right. What else we got? All right. We got. Uh, uh, where are we? Amber Heard uh, said that. Oh, uh, I don't want to talk about Amber Heard. You were the one that first made me start talking about her. I know. I think I'm done with it, though. I think it's it's it's. I think I'm done. This is Aquaman two stuff, right? Yes. Yeah. No. Let's just mm-hmm. let's just walk past it. I All think right. that this is this is this this went from being like I think like um kind of like ghoulish fun to just car wreck business now. Yeah. I think it's just like really unpleasant now. So my my opinion on this. I thought it was unpleasant from the beginning. You were like, no, this is part of what we should be discussing. I know. I know. I was wrong. Okay. All right. You happy now? I'm, I was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you should listen to me more often is what I'm saying. <laughs> well, then moving on, uh, Dare, there's going to be uh, – Disney Plus is working on a new Daredevil series. Listen, like I said, it's a train wreck. I don't want to talk about this nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> so the big question is, is this going to be a continuation of the Daredevil from Netflix or is this going to be a, a, a reboot? I, I imagine if – if I were them, what I would say is like, oh, it's a continuation, but we're never going to discuss those seasons. We're just going to move forward. You know? Yeah. Like, that's it. Like, don't – because cut off the the annoying fan outcry on Twitter. People will be like, oh, you're – why rebooting? And just be like, no, it's a continuation. But, you know, we're – maybe Foggy's not in it or, you know, maybe <laughs> – Foggy's got there's a recast. There's a recast of Foggy, maybe. I mean, yeah, I think a soft reboot is the way to do it. Yeah. Um, To come in, this has been a bunch of years into Daredevil's career. He's been around the block. He's got a good costume now. Look at that. Yeah. And so I think that is the way to do it. They like like Charlie Cox as Daredevil. I think that's fine. I get it. Um, And I think a soft reboot is totally the way. Part of the reason why that makes sense is because you're going to, you don't want to ask the audience to have to watch three seasons of another show. Yes. To kind of jump into your current show, despite the fact that it's what people complain about Marvel in general, I think that yeah. the thing is that Marvel stuff is new, and so the homework is happening. You know, like um, the the homework is happening live. Like yeah. you're just keep, you're keeping up with it because everybody's talking about WandaVision. But to have to go back and watch a ten year old Netflix show, yes, I think is maybe asking a little bit more, too much, especially that show. Yeah, I mean, especially that show is terrible, which we're going to get comments, but like it's, yeah. I, I really don't like that show. No, I did not like it. I, so I think one thing I think that's interesting is it seems to me at least that Disney plus Marvel stuff is moving more towards, oh, these shows should be more focused on street level characters and let the movies be the bigger stuff. And I think that would work really well. You know, I don't know it, that I agree with that, that that's worth it. No, I, I mean, but then the next show is Ms. Marvel and then She-Hulk. But She-Hulk attorney at law, it's about her being a lawyer. She's not going to be out there like fighting across the universe and whatnot and going through time and blah, 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 like like how uh, WandaVision was or how Loki is. Yeah, but maybe maybe she will. That That's the thing. When you have her as an attorney at law, when, you, when, you, you, when you're pulling from those stories and that concept – yeah. One, it's not street level because she's dealing with upper level villains, right? Street level specifically is talking about like, and it's Frogman, like, you know, is, isn't it? <laughs> like it's not upper level village. It's Titania no, and Frogman. I'm saying like in terms of power, Frogman is separate because it's a comedy thing, right? But Titania is a p- upper level power character. But but she's not univ- dist- like you can destroy the universe upper no, level. No, 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 but that still doesn't make them street level. Like the Wrecking Crew is not really street level. They fight Thor. Yeah. Street level is like – 
thugs and gangsters, um, those kinds of owl man is street level. Do you know what I mean? Like guys whose deal is like essentially, you know, tombstone is street level. Um, that's street level. I don't think street level is bigger characters who can fight Thor. I think that's, you're no longer street level because Daredevil can't fight those guys properly. You know what I mean? Like you, you need to have, I'm sure he has, but you, you need to have, um, these characters are more powered up. And I think that that's part of the, probably gonna be part of the fun of the She-Hulk show, but also because the nature of the law thing, why couldn't she have to go do it through a time warp to go to a crime scene or, you know what I mean? Like there's like stuff like that. Why, why, why can't it be that one of the guys is involved with the Shi'ar empire? Do you know what I'm saying? So it's like, it's, it is bigger than just street level. It isn't just like bringing in guys that are still dealing drugs. No, I think I think you're looking at street level as too small of a thing. Street level, like in the '80s, that's what street level hero comics were. Today, street level hero comics are they're not the story is not saving the universe or or the, the all of reality is about to be erased and that kind of stuff. Like when it's did this stuff where it's like, hey, it's smaller level going. You know, when did this definition change? Probably late '90s, early 2000s when. Every Batman story was the destruction of, of Gotham and nobody noticed. Nobody talked about it. <laughs> I just feel like there's a lot of comics with even high power guys that are not the end of the world. I mean, it's turned into that because it's become event comics endlessly. Yeah. It's an endless cycle of events. So the stakes are always high or like they're on their way to escalating into high stakes. Yeah. But I think that there's like decades of stories of characters who are not particularly, we never call street level, who are not world ending stakes. But that doesn't happen anymore. Like Thor does not fight the Wrecking Crew anymore. You know, it just doesn't happen anymore. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man doesn't fight the Wrecking Crew anymore. Spider-Man's busy fighting multiverse stuff all the time now. Like they've changed the levels. Like, the, you mm-hmm. know, it's vastly different now. That's interesting. Um, Echo has the Ms. Phoenix Mar- Force. <laughs> you consider, yeah, that's a good point. You, you consider know? Ms. Marvel street level though? I th- I think because she is she is a a smaller fry in the universe, right? Like like she's not doing epic grand scale stories, you know. She's doing more centered personal stories. But that has nothing to do with level of, in terms of the, the storytellings. I mean, like um, you could do a book about the um, what should we call it? Uh, Cyclops's dad. What's his name? Corsair. Corsair. Corsair and his crew. That's yeah. them doing stuff and you can make it very personal, but they're fucking space pirates. Yes. So that's never going to be street level, right? I mean, it's just not going to be street level. Or do you think that would count as street level if they're not involved in ending the universe battles that are just involved? I, in I think, I think that becomes a street level story. Interesting. So we have different definitions, I think is the deal. Yeah. My idea of a street level story is that these are basically vigilante stories with funny costumes. And like I said, I think that's what they used to be, but those stories don't exist anymore. Those stories are gone. They don't exist anymore. Like they don't do that anymore in comics. Right. Or it's very rare that you see that now. Like daredevil comics might still do it, you know, but like he's it. Like he's the guy fucking punishers running around being an angel and stuff every now and again. Right. Like, (laughs) well, that's part of the thing about long-term storytelling. Punisher is in, runs uh, the hand now. He's the leader of the he's hand. A demon. Yeah, he's a demon. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's all changed. Everything's changed. Yeah. Well, all right. I'm going to uh, – I guess I'll give, under that definition, I have to give it to you. But I I don't know. I, I It doesn't sit right with me to call Ms. Marvel or She-Hulk street level. 
doesn't sit right with me. I guess because I'm an old man and I maintain my old man definition that it's mostly about people who deal with thugs. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, but to bring Daredevil in, I think the one thing about the Marvel TV shows has been um, that they have not done a lot of stuff with um, characters that we might consider traditionally more A or B list. Yes. Their characters have all been lower level or like C or below, frankly. Um, and I, this is not a critique of the things, but like you do get to a point where you're like, Echo, like that's a pretty weird character to do a TV show about. Like it's yeah. just like really yeah. weird. Like, um, like is that the direction we're going in? These characters that like have no real history and no real name recognition. Uh, but then Daredevil has all that stuff. You yeah. know what I mean? He has he has the TV show. He has the movie. He has decades of stories. People know who he is. They know what his power set is. He's, uh, he's all set to do his own No Way Home. They can do it tomorrow sure, if they want to. Sure could. Sure could. Yeah. Uh, so I think that is uh, an interesting decision for them to sort of like up the volume on sort of the characters that they're working with. Yeah. Um, I guess Secret Invasion might feel like an upped volume. Is Secret Invasion street level for you? No, I mean that's not knowing that's pretty big. It, that's pretty. I mean, at least if it's like the comic, that's pretty huge. That's a huge, epic, sprawling story kind of deal, right? So, speaking of the Marvel TV shows, the She-Hulk trailer hit. Yes, that's the um, next thing. Some of the worst facial CGI I've ever seen. Um, it's so weird. It's really bad. It's like really yeah. bad. Yeah. And, you know, somebody on Twitter, uh, Dave Gonzalez, said, uh, obviously, like he he said this better and more eloquently, but obviously we're all criticizing a thing and they're actually still working on the CGI. Yeah. And I get it. Like I remember seeing the first trailer for Iron Man and when yeah. he blows up the tank in that first trailer, it's like shit. It looks like fucking the worst video game shit. And I'm talking about like fucking, you know, 2008 video game shit. Yeah. And then when the movie comes out, it looks pretty good, right? I mean, it doesn't look great, but it looks pretty good. Obviously I get that. But the thing is that we're now so many years into the world of heavy CGI in these things that I can't believe that you're putting together your marketing and you're not trying to figure out how to get these shots finished fully before putting them in your trailer or, or, or TV ad. Yes. Like, I just don't get it. Like, I, like, like I understand. I, I, I do get some of it. I understand these things. The timelines of these things are not super long lead sometimes. They're putting these marketing campaigns together on the fly sometimes, semi on the fly sometimes. I get it. Like, Didn't I, they shoot you, this like two years ago? Right. Uh, no, they shot it Seems last like it. year. They shot it last year. I mean, the thing is that the level of stuff that they're trying to do here with a fully CGI character with the face of the actress is like high level stuff. Yes, it is. It um, is. and, but still like, I just don't, I, you needed to put your best foot forward on this kind of thing. Yeah. And I feel like they didn't do that. And I think that's a problem because this is advertising. At the end of the day, this is advertising. This is not just like about like us impugning the art or the, or the craftsman. This is about advertising and that the ad has problems with it. That might make people not want to watch the thing that you're advertising. Then it's not good advertising. I agree. But other than that, I think the trailer is terrific. Yeah. I think, I think the show looks like it's going to be real fun, you know, but yeah, the big, I think the problem with her face is that there's no texture to it. It's just flat, you know, and it's, it's weird and you know, I don't know. We'll see. We'll and I'm see. actually not super convinced it's going to look a lot better. <laughs> like I'm like, like, like I think like Moon Knight had really good CGI on some of those uh, creatures and stuff. Yeah. Um, and they had good CGI on the suit, I think. But like, I, I think some of the other CGI in some of these shows has been a touch dodgy yes. and I'm not convinced that a full character. And also I'm trying to figure out, you know, in the comics traditionally Jennifer Walters is just She-Hulk all the time. 
Um, uh, in, in the story that they're pulling from, she has a device that lets her switch back and forth. Uh, if they're so pulling I, from the, the, the comics, I'm thinking they're pulling. But from I'm trying to figure out in the trailer, she's dating a She Hulk. Yes. So I'm trying to figure out if this is going to be one of these shows like where she's barely She Hulk in it. Um, but the fact that she's dating as She Hulk does indicate that she's going to be spending some significant time as She Hulk. Yeah, yeah. So I'm tr- I'm very curious about that aspect of it. Yes, I agree. Because um, you know, there's been stories where she can change or she does change or whatever. But traditionally, when She Hulk shows up in a story or there's a story about She Hulk, she's just She Hulk the whole time. Yeah, yeah. She comes in the door as She Hulk. She goes to court as She Hulk. You know what I mean? Like yeah. tr- very traditionally, that's the deal. Yeah. Um. So I'm kind of curious about how that works out. And. Also, I think with the effects, it should be brought up that supposedly uh, Marvel keeps has kept asking the effects team to make her smaller. So that might be part of the reason why she doesn't look finished is they haven't decided to how big she should be yet. That does not really impact her face, I don't think. But if they're more working on, like, if the focus right now is okay, we got to figure out like how muscular she should be. You know, them, they may be focusing more on that than putting in, you know, pores and blemishes. I guess. I mean, we'll see. I'm cu- I'm curious. I- I'm excited for it. I'm, I'm hopeful. I-, I think the trailer I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed yeah. the trailer. I- just the way she looked was off-putting. You know, she looked very cartoonish, I thought. Yeah, I agree. But uh, It's funny because with the Hulk, because the Hulk has a, a monstrous face. It's okay that he doesn't always look super real because he's got a monstrous face. We don't – you know what I mean? Like it's not – it shouldn't look super real. But she just has a person face. Yes. And she's the face of an actress that we know. Yeah. So it sort of becomes a thing. Yeah. It should look bad in CW is is really all I want. (laughs) Put that out there. What else we got? That's it. She-Hulk. I mean that's big stuff though, right? That's Daredevil and She-Hulk. That's big stuff. I think so. How much? I mean, what else do you want from us? We we don't create the news; we just report it. <laughs> give us, give us twenty two hours. Give us twenty two minutes, and we'll give you the world. Yeah, uh, yeah. I guess that's it, right? Uh, I'm looking right now at. I saw the finally saw the Thor trailer on the big screen. Oh yeah, yeah. Did I? I think I saw the Thor trailer on the big screen. Yes, yeah, yeah, so before saw Doctor it. Strange, I saw it. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I. I was really – I guess I saw it for Doctor Strange. I saw it also today. I went to go see Men and it played in front of Men. Uh, and I really uh, liked that trailer a lot on the big screen. Like I thought it was okay on my computer, but then I watched yeah. it on the big screen and I go, this is really fucking terrific looking. Yeah, I mean my problems with uh, Taika Waititi are, are not the way his movies look. That's for sure. I think he's got he's got a great style, but I don't think he's got much more than that. Here's one. New writers join Agatha House of Harkness, series labeled as a comedy for the 2023-2024 TV season. And this is from the WGA, by the way. So this is not like totally made up stuff. This is WGA listings about writers. And they mentioned Peter Cameron, who wrote um, uh, some WandaVision episodes, and Cameron Squires, who also wrote some WandaVision. Uh, Oh, very nice. Yeah. And uh, Laura Donnie, who has also written some episodes of WandaVision. So they're bringing in the WandaVision writers room, it seems like. Well, that's smart because they've worked – on the character before. But it's interesting that it's being listed as a comedy because I wasn't really sure what that show might be. Do you know what I mean? Like it's like yeah. this sense of like it could be like anything. Yes. Yeah. Still could. Um, you know. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. 
I've watched many shows where they're labeled as comedy and I watch it. I'm like, why is everyone just crying on the show all the time? <laughs> like, what's going on? Am I supposed to be laughing at how sad they are? I don't get it. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, that's it, I guess, for the news. Do we have jokes? No, we have trivia. We have trivia. Sorry. God damn it. Yeah. What superpower did Aldrich Killian acquire after being exposed to extremist serum? He got like became a fire guy. No, that's not one of the options. What are the options? Flight, invisibility, regeneration, telekinesis. Flight. Regeneration. Regeneration. Remember, he gets his arm cut off. Oh, yeah, that's right. But he's like fiery, though. He's like, yeah, he's he's like, he's He's their version of. Yeah, back before they would maybe brave enough to actually do Fin Fang Foom. And I think they're now ready to actually do Fin Fang Foom. Yeah, I hope so. So. Uh, This is one of my favorite kinds of questions where. Whenever these were on test, I was so pissed because the first half, I'm like, I'm going to ace this question. And the second half, I'm like, fuck. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. portrays the character Iron Man. What year was the actor born? (laughs) Give me the the (laughs) dates. Give me the years. I have no idea. Give me the years. 1955, 1960, 1965, 1970. 1965. Correct. Yeah, there we go. Okay, one more. Who invented the super soldier serum? Fuck. Uh, Erskine. Yes, Abraham Erskine. There we go. Uh, You know what's funny is um, I'm really getting old man brain, and more and more, like, the trivia stuff is harder and harder for me. Yeah. Yeah, it turns out uh, remembering this stuff is not as important as, you know, as you get older, as when you're like, you're 18, you're like, I need to know, I need to be able to explain every single piece of the Flash. And yeah, then you get older, and you're like, I don't need that. What's going on? Yeah, it's wild. Like, the, the things that were once at the tip of my tongue, I'm, I have a real hard time with now, and I have to yeah. go look more things up these days than I yeah. used to. Um, yeah. And I think it's because my brain is shutting down. Preparing for death, frankly. I think it's because we, we I, I mean, there's definitely that aspect of it. As you get older, your brain doesn't work as well. But also, we're just so, like, bombarded by information all the time now. You it's know? part of it. Well, you know, as um, Peter Pan says in Chippendale and Rescue Rangers, the movie, voiced by Will Arnett, Peter Pan says, death comes for us all, kid. There you go. There Peter you go. Pan says, why are they making a Thelma show with gore and nudity? That's like a whole different question. It's that made me wonder if I'm an old man. I'm like, my first reaction is this is a horrible fucking idea. Why can't Scooby Doo just be a kid thing? Here's my thought on it. I'm mean, gonna real quick. Is I agree. It's like there's no reason that Scooby Doo we we need to adult up Scooby Doo for us because it's like I grew up on this and now I still want to enjoy it. But I'm an adult. Make it for me. Like. That's what Rick and Morty is for. Rick and Morty is like, hey, we all love Back to the Future. Let's not mess with Back to the Future, but we'll mess with Back to the Future, right? Like, create your new IP by taking what we loved and turning it into something else. Like, that's how you do that. And it it bums me out that it's like, here's, like, here's Scooby-Doo. This is going to get mixed in on HBO Max with 900 other Scooby-Doo cartoons. And some idiot parent's going to choose the wrong one. And all of a sudden, their kid's going to be watching Thelma say fuck. And it's like... Where's the, you know, it's just goofy. Stop it. Just go create something new. It's annoying. Well, you know, my, uh, my girlfriend reminded me that Scooby-Doo appeared on an episode of Supernatural. Yes. And the, I, this is a good episode. And cause the Supernatural boys become cartoon characters. And yes. the joke of it is that the Scooby-Doo team is being confronted with horrific violence that comes from the Supernatural world. <laughs> 
Yeah. And so the joke is that they're like not prepared for any of this stuff. And like, you know, like they're like, it's horrifying. It's traumatic for the mystery, uh, team, mystery ink. And that's funny. That's funny yes. that to recognize that these are child characters who live in a state of eternal purity. Yeah. And then to break that purity a little bit and to have them just be horrified is great. But then to have break the purity, like on a, on a world level, I don't think it works anymore. It just, no, just do it. Just do a new fucking show. I will say it has to be IP. Way. So the uh that recent i say recent it's like a decade old the mystery in ink series they did animated series they did about 10 years ago it's like three seasons is fantastic that is a really well done show i really the like new, that the new movie was pretty good uh scoob yeah it was pretty good i made it about 5 minutes and i turned it i off. enjoyed it it was uh it was a real precursor to the current world i mean not a precursor because it came out i guess at the beginning of covid right um did it come out the beginning of COVID? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but like all of the Hanna Barbera car- characters show up, so it's like kind of fun. Like yeah, Captain Caveman's in it, you know. So like I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, I mean, but it's, it's a kids movie though. So like you know what I mean? Like I watch it's a kids movie. Like yeah, yeah. It's not it's not for me. It's for new kids to watch Scooby Doo, and I thought they did a pretty good job. I thought it was basically baseline enjoyable. All right. Speaking of things that are baseline enjoyable, are you ready to talk about the next episode of Legends of the Superheroes? You're being real polite by saying baseline enjoyable. Are you ready? Yes. Let's do it. I started a joke Which started the whole world crying Legends of the Superheroes, The Roast. So last week's episode was so bad. How bad was it? I'm sorry, I didn't know you were doing it again. <laughs> I mean, like they, 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 they do this in the show. Uh, yes. It was so bad. It was, I mean, like, I'm not doing a gag, but it was just so bad that um, I almost could not watch it. Like I like, legitimately considered tapping out last week. Yes. Not, not like I'm not doing a bit. Like this is not me. No, no, I, I was the same way. I, I was very much the same way last week. Yeah. And yeah. this week though, I was able to really just get through it. And I think part of it is this I've one already moved seen, faster. This one moved faster. I'd already seen this one. I had not actually not I realized ever seen the challenge for whatever reason. Okay. okay. Um for whatever whatever reason. Uh but uh yeah, I um I found this one like more enjoyable than the first one. I wouldn't go and that I kind of laughed a couple of times. This is actually what it, what it should always be. Like so? the first one having like a sto- quote unquote story where yeah. they run into like comedic skits. That's awful. It's horrible. But then just sitting around doing bits at each other like that felt like, okay, I get it. Like this is fine. I mean, I, I have two moments in here where I discuss considering just killing myself instead of watching any more of this. So I may disagree <laughs> killing, with you. Killing yourself. Yes. That's intense. Yes. I did not feel that strongly uh, about this. Wow. There were two moments. There were two moments where I was like, I I don't, this is. Were you upset because um, uh, nobody really roasts anybody in this? It's like so few roastings. There there is that problem. It's called the roast and there is no roasting. Um. But uh, no, no, that didn't really bother me too much. Well, I don't want to talk about this like in order. I, I, who cares? Like, it's just a fucking okay. bunch of things. So what, what were the two moments that made you want to kill yourself? The endless uh, 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 Scarlet Cyclone bet where he just kept going <laughs> and going. And I was like, just please. Like, I've never honestly considered suicide until that moment. I was like, I can't deal with this. 
And then oh. there's a bit. Uh, I don't know exactly what he was doing, but there's a bit with Batman where I have in my 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 notes here. Turns out Adam West has killed. He's killed my will to live. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I don't know what that moment was. There's only a couple of Batman moments. Um, oh, oh, it, it's when him and when he's trying to figure out when him and Robert are talking about the Batmobile. I actually and like that bit. I did not because it's so goddamn slow. The pauses are so painful. That's actually what I liked about it. It's awful. Like it's really bad. Like I'm not saying it's a good bit, but yeah. there's like something. A lot of elements of this ep- this episode reminded me, or made me imagine what it must have been like to sit in a shitty Catskills nightclub in 1954. Yeah, and that was like one of them. Like somebody, some two guys think they're doing a fucking Abbott and Costello routine, and yeah. they are just fucking death on stage. And I found that Terrible. delightful. Just and it, absolutely. And it ends delightful. with Batman being an abusive father, which is quite shocking to me. Well, is it ab- so? Here's the thing. So in this in this segment. Robin turns to, to Captain Marvel and says, hey, bad news. I crashed the Batmobile. Batman left me to park it. I crashed it, and I'm afraid to tell him. And then in the middle of the fucking roast, Ed McMahon gets a fax because uh, Ed McMahon's in this one. Ed McMahon yes. gets a fax and uh, says there's, there's trouble in Gotham City. And so Batman's like, to the Batmobile, Robin. And Robin's like, ah, maybe we should take a different – Form we of transmission. We, we should walk. Oh, we should get yeah. the, the, the energy crisis. We should, you know, this, 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 and then they kind of like back and forth. And it's supposed to be like an Abbott and Costello style routine, right? Like where they're like yeah. back and forth, where Robin is trying to hide the truth and Batman is slowly figuring it out. Like yeah. Batman figures out that he wrecked. The What'd Batmobile. you do, Lou? Oh, Abbott, I, I, yeah, I you can did, see it. I did yeah. like the charades part. Did you? I liked it. Toe, toe, I thought really, I was like, you know, this is awful, but I really like it. Like it's, I'm again, when I say I liked it, I don't mean that it was good. I'm, I'm in okay. no way vouching for its goodness. I'm yeah. just saying that as I was watching it, I found it so bad. I was entertained by it. Okay. Well, there you go. But at the end of the bit, Robin, um, confesses that he totaled the Batmobile. Yes. And Batman says something that I think we can take a number of different ways. He says, wait, do you see what I do to you back at the Batcave? <laughs> While Robin is on the ground quivering. So this is either um, abusive or sexual. Like it, it, I took either, it as abusive. No, I, it, definitely, it definitely is abusive, but it also could be sexual. There's like a really sexual element to this, especially considering these two characters who yeah. have always been um, metatextually seen as gay. Yeah. Right? Uh, from Frederick Wortham on up. Uh, and like there's just something really like it's, it, it, is, it is like threateningly sexual. But it yep. is definitely sexual. It's like a really weird fucking bit. And it is really weird that Batman, like they wrote this bit where Batman is going to threaten to do physical harm to Robin. Like it's yes. like kind of fascinating. Because yes. um, this that, that would not fly on the original show. That should not fly, period. <laughs> like that's something where it's like, no, no, no. Batman does not threaten to do physical harm to his, his ward, his teenage ward. Even if his teenage ward is now 40, he still does not. <laughs> <laughs> do that. Uh, also, the so, Flash's symbol is backwards. What are you motherfuckers doing? That is weird, right? They get yeah. so much, so many things right. And why does Hawkman come out of the ground when he's introduced? It's very annoying to me. Because they spent all of the budget, a flying budget, on Ed McMahon shouting Kareem. <laughs> <laughs> Can we talk about the one thing, the one joke that did make me laugh throughout this? What, which, what is that? It's when Sinestro is doing his bit and he keeps using his power ring to, to do rim shots. I was like, yes. that's pretty funny. That's funny. Uh, that, we never see the drums, which is like, a, like could, did they not have the budget for a drum set to just cut to a drum set? Like, 
like that all weird. They definitely did not. This is movie no. is this, this also, show I'm saying. I, I did laugh when he blows up the Flash's podium and then it's just on fire for like three minutes. I was like, yeah, that the, had to be very uncomfortable for everyone on set that there's the thing is just burning. The special <laughs> effects guys put a little too much <laughs> explosive in that. And it was like really just on fire. There was just a fire on set. Yeah. Uh, which is, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, you know, the, the, the Sinestro bit was horrible. I thought They're Charlie Callis, I thought was really bad and it was like disappointing cause, um, it's just not funny and his delivery is really awful. He's like, yeah. in, the problem with the, with the bit with him doing the rim shots is that it takes forever every That's single forever. time. Yeah. It's like five, six seconds of silence as he's like shooting the thing and then it's a rim shot. It's like it needs yeah. to be – they need to make it like really tighten that up. It's like crazy. Yeah. Well, this is – the entire thing is like that. Like there's the bit when uh, Weather Wizard makes like a tornado or whatever and everything gets blown around. And then when that stops, it cuts to Batman getting up and there's five to six seconds of silence. And then Batman goes, is everyone okay? And there's like a laugh track after that. And it's like, first off, it's not a funny line. Second, why was there six seconds of silence? Did Adam West forget his line? Like, like what is going on? Yeah. yeah. Editor, pick up the pace. It's, it's, it's crazy. Um, uh, Ed McMahon is the host of this show. And Ed McMahon gets more screen time than any superhero. Yes. He has more lines than any superhero. Yes. He has more bits than any superhero. Yes. It's really weird. It's pretty wild. I like to imagine what it was like when Ed McMahon went back to the tonight show and Johnny Carson just mercilessly bullied him about this. I mean, they just fucking went to town him. Johnny and Fred Cordova are just fucking abusing Ed McMahon. Do you think doing they, this? Do you think they knew thing. about this? No, Johnny wouldn't know, but somebody would say, cause it would be like, a, it would be like, think, think in terms of like Larry Sanders. Yes. You know yeah. what I mean? So somebody would come in and say, Oh, Hey Ed, I saw that. My, my kid loved that superhero thing you did last night. And Johnny be like, what, what superhero thing, Ed? And then it would become a whole fucking thing. It would just, I, yeah. I can only imagine the abuse yeah. that was heaped upon him. I thought it was really interesting because Ed McMahon, um, it is actually his really good casting. Yeah, he's, he's a great choice for that kind of thing. Um, he has the exact right vibe and everything. Um, but what I thought was really interesting is that coming from the perspective of now and also coming from the, just frankly, from the perspective of a sober person, realizing that, that, that Ed McMahon's whole bit is that he's a fucking degenerate drunk. Yes. is like super weird because uh, he does a whole bit about trying to get about getting loaded at the Budweiser factory or the brewery yes. and trying to fight a Clydesdale in yep. the middle of the superhero special. Uh, it, that's just, that's just his deal is just doing these fucking drunk jokes. It was, it's pretty yeah. interesting. It was a different time. It was a, it was, it was a very, it was a very different time. Yeah. Uh, but uh, McMahon, he has, there's a bit, in the Solomon Grundy segment where I feel like Ed, <laughs> I feel like Ed McMahon might've ad-libbed. Oh yeah. Is it yeah. the headache line? Yeah. hundred percent. I could, I could actually imagine <laughs> McMahon is like getting irritated at this bit and they've had to do it a couple of times and he fucking yep. hates it and he wants a beer and he's like, he's already knows this is humiliating to him and he just doesn't want to keep fucking falling down and getting back up. Yes. And I, when he says, I'm getting a headache, there's something so real about that in that moment. Yes. Yeah. It really does sound like maybe Ed McMahon actually is getting a headache and is super fucking angry at all the producers of this program. Yes. Yeah, I think that's very possible. Did you have a favorite Ed McMahon bit? Um, I like when – let's think here. I like the, the Arnold Schwarzenegger joke. That was weird. That was interesting. There's a couple of um, – there's a couple of uh, – 
timely jokes. Uh, there's the Arnold yeah. Schwarzenegger joke, and then they do a joke about parquet margarine. Yes. And that brought that brought back memories. Yes, like, it big did. Time. Like it was like a rush of memories back to the talking well, margarine. Was it? it was like the only person that talks to him is, is his is his parquet, right? Wasn't yeah, that that, that that, was that's joke, a good yeah. joke. That was a good joke. That is a good joke. And it, yeah. it, it, it was just nice for me as an old person to have that rush back to the margarine. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting to me though the Arnold Schwarzenegger joke I find interesting because this is from what like 1979 yeah and so like Arnold was not at this point he wasn't a household name yet was he like he, he was there, yeah he was, was I thought it was still yeah. a couple years like I thought it wasn't until Conan no he was a no he was a that's why they cast him in Conan because he was like a big well-known person at this point um pumping iron was a really big deal it was a huge deal yeah, and okay. um, he was a he was like a, me, a media guy, like people liked okay. putting him on talk shows and stuff like that. Um, and he, you know, he had really good media skills. Yeah. And so we watched Conan this week, by the way. Oh yeah, because it's the 40th anniversary of Conan the Barbarian, and um, it's terrific. It really holds up. It's a great movie. Uh, but it is really wild to watch that movie and realize that people thought it was a huge mistake to cast um, Arnold. That's crazy. They're like this guy, he can't speak English. He's not a real actor, yada, yada, yada. And then, of course, he's like one of the biggest superstars of all time, becomes fucking governor of California. Yeah. And it's even crazier that they never made the King Conan movie. That's a bummer. That's a real bummer. I mean, I guess they still could, right? Still um, yeah, I think he might be a little too old for it. I don't know. Um, Who knows? The... Uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger joke is good because it is about like him as a bodybuilder specifically because it's about preening and showing yeah. off your muscles. So it's like very yeah. specifically before he's a significant actor. I think he might have done Hercules in New York at this point. I'm not even sure. Westworld, uh, right? He was in Westworld by this point, wasn't he? Was he in Westworld? Isn't he? He's in some, oh, no, no. He's in, a, some, he's in some bad sci-fi Western. He's in a couple of movies. He's a thug in um, The Big Goodbye. Um, like he does like some like like bits, but he's not like really like famous for that at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I like that Arnold Schwarzenegger joke. I like when these bad things get like a little bit timely and they transport you back to 1979 or whatever for a moment. Yeah. I really enjoy that. So it's like that yeah. nice time capsule effect. People like don't like things that age poorly, but I love things that age poorly. Yeah, I think I think there's you know. The, the the goal of making everything timeless makes it not as good. Totally. Like agree. sometimes you need some timeliness in things. You know, you need things that are set it to a certain period. I think it's useful. I mean, there's like a lengthy Barbara Walters parody in this. Yes. That with I think the Adam. Maybe, yeah, with the Adam. I think maybe modern audiences won't even get. No, no. It's pretty weird. The whole thing is weird. And so that the, lady's name is Rotor Rooter, which is pretty Rotor Rooter. Yes. I mean, like, but you yeah. know what's funny is that they, they go, oh, here is the gossip queen, Rotor Rooter. And I'm like, this is actually no worse than Rita Skeeter. Nope. It's the same it's joke. No, it's the same joke. It is no, yeah. it's no worse. It's no worse. No. Um, I actually liked the Adam bit. What did you did think you? about the Adam bit? I thought it was interesting. It was a little, a little racy. That's what I liked about it. Like, yeah. is that yeah, she's there's asking two very racy moments in, in, in this special. And yeah. that is what's, one of them. What's the other one? The other one is the Dr. Savannah bit where he appears to be taking his stethoscope to bring it up to Black Canary's vagina. Yeah, he definitely is sexually harassing Black Canary. <laughs> yep. Yep. 
he definitely is sexually harassing Black Canary. Very bad. Very bad behavior. He's a villain, though. I guess that that makes sense. Uh, he also, also the way, there's also a moment that made me gag, which is when Dr. Savannah takes the tongue depressor out of Captain Marvel's mouth and yep. puts it in Hawkman's mouth. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> like, like, carries disgusting. it across the stage and puts it right in the other guy's mouth. Fucking unreal. <laughs> I was so disgusted by that. It didn't even feel like an editing thing, like where maybe they edited it, like he actually pulled a different one out. No, it's one shot. It's one shot. He just fucking puts it right in the guy's fucking mouth. It's crazy. Yep. Yep. Really made me feel gross. Yeah, really, really incredible. It's funny to have these same villains in both of these things. Um, Like I was really- No Riddler though. No Riddler this time. They can only afford Frank Gorshin for one. Um, They spent their money probably on Ruth Buzzy this time. Yes. But- um, I thought it was really interesting that in the first one, Mordrew goes on a jet ski, and in this one, he has a song and dance number. So he I sings that's that entertainment. He sings so his own weird. version of that's entertainment. Yeah. It's so weird. What's what really incredible? On? What's really incredible is he does his own version of that's entertainment with like all lyrics about being a villain and like bad things. Yeah, um, uh, being entertaining to him, and uh, but they clearly did it like in a take or two. Like yep. they didn't like break it up because by the end of it, he is like fucking wheezing. He's dying. He's dying. He's dying. Yeah. He is dying there. And I was like amazed. I'm watching this fucking man die while trying to do like a song and dance that's entertainment on this dumb stage was just one of the most fucking amazing things I have ever sat through. Yeah. Wearing that, that goofy costume. Yeah. It's incredible. I mean, again, the level of humiliation involved here is like so next level. Like people pay dominatrixes to do this to them, <laughs> to humiliate them this badly. <laughs> Truly nuts. It's pretty wild. It's pretty wild. What did you think of Hawkman's mom? Uh, I like the Hawkman's mom bit. Do you know who that was? Yeah, it's Pat Carroll. Pat that's, Carroll. Uh, yeah, no, no, it's Ursula from the yeah, Ursula. Yeah, I mean that was that's fun, right? Yeah. Um, and she's like a she's like a real person too. She's like won the fucking Emmy and the Grammy. She was nominated for Tony, yeah. and then here she is. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, her and Ruth Buzzy. That's pretty impressive. Like, that, those are serious. Like, Ruth Buzzy's huge. That's amazing. That's wild. It's wild. She had sued Hannah Barbera. She was supposed to play uh, uh, Judy Jetson, Jane Jetson. Oh, was um, she? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe this was the settlement. Maybe. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> Could be. Uh, I like the Hawkman's mom bit because it's a real roast, first of yes. all. Yes. Yeah. That's number one. So she's actually doing like a bunch of bird jokes at Hawkman. Yes. Um, but two, um, I just think that she's funny. Like I just like it. I like the fact that Hawkman's mom, despite talking about um, Christmas, uh, is definitely a Jewish mother. Yes. Uh, and I, I kind of love A Jewish that. mother talking about Christmas who's from Thanaga. <laughs> well, I mean – it does seem as though uh, it, this Hawkman's wasn't from Thanagar, was he? Yes, they, 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 this, they, said, they is, said that. They, they said that, that his mother's from Thanagar. Really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I missed that. I'm surprised. I, I thought that was a later Hawkman that was from Thanagar. Not at this point. I believe they put that in there. Because this, this is Carter Hall. This is Carter Hall yeah. Hawkman. Yeah. And he's a, isn't he an archaeologist? don't please <laughs> I, can't, I can't keep track of the hawkman stuff we never we that's funny we talked did a whole episode about this already and we did not even go into any of the lore or the mythology surrounding these characters because uh so much of it even though the show is really weirdly 
um, spot on with a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Um, some of it's just too confusing. Like the Hawkman yeah. stuff is impossible. It's impossible to know what the fuck is going on with Hawkman. Yes. It really is. Like DC has been trying to work that out for like 20 or 30 years now. Yeah. It's like crazy. crazy. There's a guy with fucking wings on his back and it's been, it's the most convoluted shit you've ever heard. (laughs) It's so insane. Give the people like a little bit of a sense of like some of the Hawkman stuff. All right. Golden age Hawkman was the, uh, the, the, he was just Hawkman, I believe. Right. That no, no, the golden age Hawkman. What was the, 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 uh, I can't reincarnated Prince, of Egypt. And that was his deal. And then the silver age Hawkman was the reincarnated. Oh no. The silver age Hawkman was reincarnated Prince of Egypt and also from the planet Thanagar. And then they, was he from Thanagar? Or he just had, a, he just had nth metal. He had nth metal. Well, they both had nth metal, but, but which came from Thanagar, right? Cause it was a crashed plane or a good crashed spaceship. It's all so confusing. And then I'm post crisis where they're both on the same world, they're reincarnations of each other, and then they keep getting reincarnated, and and there's also the whole planet of Thanagar is Hawkmen, where they're cops, and it's all it's just so confusing. It's all over the place, and nobody knows like, what it is. There's a version of him where he's just, he's just an Egyptologist, too, right? I mean, that's like the deal, right? That's Yes, yeah. Uh, but, anyway. but the Egyptologist is, is a reincarnation, because always, he's always been reincarnation as part of all the stories. So he's like an Egyptian who reincarnates on Thanagar at one point. Yes. That's interesting because you have to think about that whole system, right, for reincarnation. Yeah. If there are beings in other planets, that would probably – either the system maintains on one planet, you continuously reincarnate on one world, or the system is open and you reincarnate on many worlds. Yeah. And that makes a little bit more sense because the question of how there's so many more people today than there were 10,000 years ago. Yeah. Um, then the question is, well, maybe they've been re- – maybe the other – planets had higher populations that have shrunk and they're now here. Well, th- you can also with Hawkman and, and Hawkwoman be reincarnated while you're still alive. And then there's just multiples of you. That is a great trick. <laughs> That's a big party trick. Reincarnated while alive. Yeah. Cause I, I believe at one point there were two versions of Shira Hall running around. It's and so they were like one is called Hawkwoman and one is called Hawkgirl and they're both the same person. But it one's is, from Thanagar and one's from Earth. It is too yeah. much, man. Yeah. It's all just very too much. Just too much. Uh, yeah. like, uh, but anyway, uh, I liked the I liked the mom's jokes. I thought yes. they were pretty good. They were all like really baseline bird jokes. Like crazy yeah. baseline bird jokes. I was you know, to go back to the idea that this is like weirdly um uh, uh true to the characters, when they bring out Sinestro, they really give his whole fucking origin. They do, yeah. They go into how he used to be a hero. Guardians of the universe. Like yeah. these are these are things you don't need to mention in a fucking roast special. No. Like it's like weird that they go out of their way to do it. Yeah. Oddly, with Solomon Grundy, they don't do the poem, which I thought it's for sure. Very weird, right? Like yeah. I, I, I wonder why they didn't do it. I don't know. I was very shocked by that. But they really do some jokes based on some deep cut stuff. Like there's a joke about the Flash's costume in his ring. Yes. Yeah. That's like deep cut. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also a joke about the Flash that uh, – uh, what's her name? Doesn't want to marry the Flash because he's too fast. The fastest man alive, which is a joke yep. that they used again Aunt in Minerva. the first episode of the Flash – original Flash TV show. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's an old joke. Ooh, he's fast. 
Oh, you're so mad. You're so mad. Uh, no, it's just not a very, it's just not a fun joke. Like, it's just like, all right, all right. Like in 79, I'm sure this was one of the first times it's been done, but these days you see it all the time. It's like, oh. Well, it's interesting, right? So like back in those days as the, you know, in this case, it's these people making fun of comics essentially, right? That's what they're doing. Like they're like, yeah. none of these people are really fans. Like they're not making, they just have like a list of like things they have to hit because they're super friends. And these are the super friends things. Uh, but as more adults got into stayed in comics, these kinds of things that are now really fucking eye rolling, like, like the fat flash is the fastest man alive or would Superman kill Lois Lane when he has sex with her? Yeah. Was, like There was a time when that was actually like kind of cutting edge and felt like really like wild. Yes. Like really wild. Like, wow. Cause there's a, a story, a man of steel, woman of tissue yeah. uh, that like, it felt like really subversively deconstructive to do that. Yes. And now it doesn't. Now it feels like hack bullshit. Did you see the um, Neil Gaiman thing from this week? Nobody masturbates in the... Nobody masturbates in the DC universe? Yeah. yeah, so he was not allowed to talk about masturbation in Sandman, and he was told the reason why is because uh, nobody in the DC universe masturbates. And yes. Neil Gaiman said, well, that, that explains a lot. Yeah, that explains a lot about the DC universe, which uh, is a very good line. But that had to be just like the first six issues of Sandman, right? I I, I imagine, although I have no idea, like, I don't remember any discussion of masturbation in Sandman at any point, but... No, but he's so, he so obviously is no longer in the DC universe past that first storyline, more or less. Like yes, when he yeah, meets he's Justice League, yeah. he's just, he just, they just leave it behind. Like, the world is just not well, they, the they, they still show up from time to time throughout Sandman. Like like Superman, Martian Manhunter, and Batman are all at Morpheus's funeral, you know. But they're but it's never he's not as interconnected as he is in that first story. Well, what's interesting is I think when they show up at his funeral, that makes sense because he is the Prince of Dreams, and comic yeah. characters are imaginative dreams, aren't they? Yes. So uh, that makes and, and there's sense. a great joke there too, where Superman's like, sometimes I I've had dreams where I have different faces and. It's different decades, and Batman's like, I've had that too. And Marshall Manner goes, I've never had that. And it's because they've been <laughs> movies and TV shows, and he hadn't. And I like that. That joke always stuck with me. I was like, that's pretty funny. Uh, but yeah, so there there was no masturbation in DC Comics at that that point. I'm now I'm sure there's plenty of it. Yeah, I'm sure that the different Robins have had whole issues about their masturbation habits. Well, no, probably probably not them, but I mean, definitely like Preacher, I'm sure had masturbation jokes and stuff, right? Like that's not DC Universe. That's not the or, or uh, Hitman might have. You know. Yeah, that is Hitman makes seems reasonable. Hitman yeah. seems like a reasonable place to. Have. I don't remember any masturbation jokes, but it seems like a reasonable place for them to have popped up. Yeah, I, uh, there's definitely a joke about Hitman showing up at Justice League, uh, trying out to be a member of the Justice League just so he can use his x-ray vision to look at Wonder Woman naked in one issue. Yeah. I mean, so. he throws up on Batman's shoes in the first issue. So like, it's yes. definitely, that's definitely like a real precursor to a lot of stuff that I think is taken for granted these days. Yeah. Um, and Kevin Smith had Batman pee himself during the, uh, his year one speech where, where he puts out the, at the mayor's house. So take that. Really? Yeah. Why did he pee himself? Cause he was so nervous. Is that really canon now? I don't think we it's don't, canon. It's not, mean, it's, nothing, it's, yeah. Nothing's canon anymore, right? But yeah, you know, I mean, nobody brings it up, but it's in like one of the Kevin Smith 
Batman miniseries. It gets discussed. I don't know why you do Batman do that. I legitimately don't know why you do that. I don't know. That's crazy. That's know. actually crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Um, so, uh, so you know, this actually brings us back to the Rotoruta thing because it is about how does Adam fuck uh, Giganta. Which the and answer then, is he grows back to normal height. <laughs> like he's not always small. It's funny because in this um, – in this roast, he is always small. Like yes. his parents are small, right? Like, like she couldn't get her through the parents' door. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like the joke. And um, this is one of the times where they actually throw away canon, surprisingly. You yeah. just have Adam just be tiny all the time. Yeah. Uh, but they obviously can, the they, they mix him up with the Golden Age Adam, who was just very short. The, obviously the answer, though, is like the issue of Ultimates, where Ant-Man brings his whole body into the wasp's yeah. vagina. <laughs> yep. <laughs> true, true fucking madness. <laughs> that was a long time weird. ago. Too. <laughs> Comics have really changed over the years. What was really funny is they got weird and like totally used to be really weird. Like where yeah. like Superman would fight aliens who were actually just tourists who were taking pictures and didn't realize it was stealing souls or whatever. I mean, whatever, like whatever bullshit yeah. Yeah. race stuff. And now it's Ant Man. Henry Pym has shrunk down small size and put himself inside the wasp vagina. But and now we've gone back. We, we've gone away from that again to where right. for, I believe it was Tom King was told that uh, Batman can't, cannot go down on wonder woman. Right. He can't, he, Batman does not eat pussy. Um, yeah. and, <laughs> yeah. Although I guess, you know, I mean the ultimate universe is a different beast altogether. Right. Yes, so that's yeah. where, that's where, that's where Ant-Man did that was in the ultimate universe, not in the, not in the Marvel universe, not in the six one six mainstream. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, comics continue to be the most baffling shit uh, that anybody's ever done. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, very weird. It's very weird. I, we're going to have to talk about it at some point. So I want to talk about it now. Ghetto Man. Yep. Um, you know, it's not, it's, not, it's not a bad set. No, he's got some good... Good lines. He's got some good lines. And what's interesting is that obviously the entire premise is in, in, in and of itself racist, right? Like that, yes. like the premise is just racist. Yeah. Uh, like the idea of the only black superhero is ghetto man is like fucking out of control. Uh, and yeah. especially considering there's like, I think was there already black Vulcan on the super friends at this point? I don't know. I don't know when they introduced. I don't, I don't know when black Vulcan was introduced on super friends. I don't know. Uh, but black lightning's around by this point for sure. He, right? he, he does spend his entire set pointing out how racist and exclusionary superheroes are. Yes. That's all, every yeah. joke that he tells. Well, he started his first joke is, you know, when we all complained that there wasn't enough color on the justice league, we didn't mean green lantern. Right. You know, which is a good little bit. Hey. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's a good bit. Um, too bad. They didn't have Martian Manhunter back then. Cause he's now coded as black most of the time. Right. I believe so. Yes. I think post justice league cartoon, he's like just generally coded as black. Yeah. Yeah, and also on Supergirl, he's played by by a, a black man, by a black actor. And then he's a black actor on the Snyderverse. Yes, yeah. Um, so that's interesting. They've turned the Martian Manhunter. They, he's now coded as a black person, but he's not really black because he's green. He just puts on a human skin. Yes. He's a shapeshift, so he could be any color he wants, technically. Yeah. Um, but the, the, in, in, in the Justice League animated series, at one point, he's an Asian guy, if I remember correctly, when he leaves the team for a while. So take that. Um, Ghetto Man's set is pretty good, though. I mean, like, again, hopelessly racist 
in 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 concept. Yes. But his execution's not not so bad. Um, some of the jokes are all right, and again, all of the jokes are like you guys think you're superheroes, but there's kids dying in the ghetto. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's just like wow. Okay. Yeah. He's got a point. <laughs> Um, and then he flies off screen yelling Kareem. Yes. Interestingly Kareem. enough, the actor Brad Sanders was on the Black Lightning TV series. Yeah, Brad Sanders still out there working. He is uh yeah. you know, in the in of the heroes, we we looked went over their their careers and most of them were just total nobodies. Yeah. But Brad Sanders um actually has worked modestly steadily. Um well he's over, he's over got a period year. where he didn't work and lately he's been getting a lot of work. He's doing pretty good for himself right now, I think. So. Yeah, I wonder what the story is. He has like a, a gap between 1993 and 2000. I wonder what the story yeah. is. I don't um, know. But he's I in mean, the latest Bad Boys. Yeah, but he's got like yeah. not um, not like great roles. No, like his roles are all like store owner and like, you know, guy in, guy in car. But it's work. Like he's even, working. Even on Black Lightning, he's just he's playing just store a store owner. owner. And yeah. that feels like a missed opportunity. I, I wondered, like, when I saw that, I was like, I wonder if, like, on set, he was like, hey, you guys know I was in Legend of the Superheroes. You know I'm a superhero. You that's know that, my, right? my, I'm, my, that, I'm Ghetto Man. That's my first role was Ghetto Man. That's how I got into this business as a, as, a, yeah. as a superhero. Yeah, I do wonder if he brought it up because it does feel weird to just have him as store owner. Yeah. But I didn't yeah. watch the show, so I don't remember. Maybe, maybe, maybe they make a reference. They might. I don't know. I you know, know what I mean? Like, uh, there, might, there might be some kind of little wink or something like that. And also, we, we didn't bring it up, but the guy who played the Atom, Alfie Wise, played Batman in Cannonball Run. What? Yeah, his character. He's in Cannonball Run, and his character's name is Batman. But he's not he bat. He's not dressed as Batman or anything. He's just called Batman. I don't remember that character. I haven't seen Can- Cannonball Run in a hot minute. Yeah. I have not there seen. Uh, oh, he's in Smokey and the Bandit too. Oh, you know yeah. what? You he's know a stuntman, who- I think. Not only is he a stuntman. Now I, you know, it's funny because I could not fucking see his fucking face. Well, he's got the mask on. He's got the mask on, but he is, uh, he is terrific. He is, he is a, like a, I think a stunt guy, and he is in one of my favorite movies of all time that came out the year before Legends of the Superheroes. He's in the movie Hooper, yeah. and he, he's uh, this guy's really short, and the all the jokes about him in Hooper are about how short he is, and he is the stunt coordinator. Uh, Hooper is a movie about Burt Reynolds as as like the world's greatest stuntman. Yes. And uh, he is like the coordinator and he's a big pain in the ass for Burt Reynolds because Burt Reynolds just wants to do crazy stunts. Yeah. And then Burt Reynolds has a problem because he's an old school stuntman and then Jan Michael Vincent shows up and he's a new school stuntman. And so there's like going to be a rivalry, but then the movie decides it doesn't really want to have that much of a plot. And so they just become buddies and it's delightful. Have you ever seen Hooper? <laughs> I have. It's a very good movie. Anyway. It's a terrific movie. And it's one of the movies that uh, Burt Reynolds made with Sally Field. And I never get tired of saying this. Um, Burt Reynolds has said that uh, breaking up with Sally Field is the greatest mistake he ever made in his life. Yeah. I saw him do a Q&A after a screening of Hooper like months before he died. And he talked very sadly about how much of a mistake it was to let Sally Field get away, that she was the love of his life. And today he's 85 or whatever he was when he died. He's like, I still love her just as much today as I did then. That's very sad. Isn't that crushing? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's absolutely crushing. And, and like it, it just it is it is the the wildest stuff. And, and you have to feel really bad. That's so funny that he's Tony because I, I, I just couldn't see him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, he's wearing a mask. And he's wearing a mask and he's tiny. 
Yes. But his voice was familiar. That's why I was wondering who the fuck he was. This guy's voice is familiar, and I just forgot to look him up. So, terrific. Anyway, if you haven't watched, watched Hooper, it's, it's an incredible movie. movie. And it's actually sort of based on the same friendship that um, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is based on. Yes. So, uh, it's actually based on the relationship between Hal Needham and uh, and Burt Reynolds. Burt Reynolds, yeah. Yeah, and that's also the same relationship that Tarantino's one of the relationships that Tarantino is sort of pulling on. Uh, when I saw uh, Burt Reynolds do this Q and A, he talked about how Hal Needham was his was a stuntman, was his buddy, and then became a director, and is one of the great directors of like seventies, late seventies, early eighties action mm-hmm. movies. And, and he lived in his uh, guest house, didn't he? Lived in guest house for twenty years, and he was like, when I, I told him he could crash my place. I didn't mean twenty years, uh, but that's a hundred percent the same relationship between the uh, the actor and the stunt guy. Um, that, that Tarantino is pulling on for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, one of the great movies of all time. So, anyway, we got off topic on that one. We did, but that was fun though. Uh, but I liked Ghetto Man. Uh, you know, I get Once Upon a Time. I did a, a a screening series here in LA, and we did it was like weird superhero movies. Like we couldn't. There was not a lot of the Marvel stuff was new. And there wasn't a lot of stuff you could get easily back then. So we just showed like a lot of really weird movies um, that were superhero related. We showed Condor Man. um, Did we show Super Fuzz? We didn't show Super Fuzz. We showed Abar, the the first black Superman, which has another title, by the way, that if you look it up, I can't say on the podcast. Yes. Um, But it is a pretty funny title that is riffing on the TV show Six Million Dollar Man. Um, but Abar, the first black Superman, uh, the guy that played Abar showed up at the screening. He drove himself up from his fucking home and hung out and talked about Abar, oh, the wow. first black Superman. It was a ter- it's a pretty terrific movie, but a very low budget movie. And it's about a guy who takes a potion that turns him into like a Superman. Yeah. Um, we showed stuff like that. And we also showed the roast and it was okay. like sort of like partially, um, Warner home entertainment, like partially financed it. We showed, um, the rocketeer. I'm trying to think what else we showed. We showed like, it was like all, all off brand stuff mostly. Sure. Um, it was a great weekend. It was a trip because these are terrific fucking movies. And this like the, the weird stuff is some of the most fun stuff. I agree. I agree. I don't know where I was going with that. I don't know. I was waiting for you to figure it out. I thought you were going to connect it to ghetto man. You're going to be like, ghetto man showed up, but no, you went with a bar. No, no. Oh, well, when, when, you know, having seen this a couple of times and having shown it, ghetto man really felt like, um, I feel like ironic racism at the time. Like there was a lot of ironic racism going on in, yes. in the culture at the time. And it felt a little bit like that, but watching it now, it doesn't feel like it, it feels like just racism. Yes. But again, I think that his, his jokes, I think are actually so pointed that it actually ends up working. I think, I, I think some of them do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the green lantern one I think was, was that, that works. You know, the Sammy Davis jr. Jokes, maybe not so much. Oh, I like the Sammy Davis Jr. jokes a lot because I like a good Sammy Davis Jr. joke. I mean, like I'm like yeah. you know anything about the Rat Pack, uh, sign me. You're up. down for yeah, yeah, and and you know his joke that black people all have are like Captain Marvel. They have a, a magic phrase they say to become super Kareem. It's Kareem, and then which I can't wait to see that on uh, the next season of uh, uh, winning season. Or whatever. Unfortunately, uh, this takes this came out before. one year before yeah. the events of the first season of Winning Time. Yeah. Uh, but the the magic of it though. Is that uh, in the great one of the great callbacks in comedy history? The show ends with Ed McMahon standing on stage and shouting out "Kareem" and then flying away. Yep, <laughs> yep. absolute madness, true madness. Uh, one one of the great moments uh, in in a, as a callback. A twist, 
It is a twist. Uh, <laughs> uh, what are the other? What are the other good bits in this? Uh, There's not see. that much else. Oh, you know, uh, Aunt Minerva. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna go to that. Okay. Yeah. Well, would you have something else you want to talk about before we got I, to Aunt Minerva? No, I don't think so. I'm just thinking. There's a horrible Doctor Savannah dancing sequence. Yeah, the Doctor Savannah stuff is really weird because, like, he shows up in a flying test tube. And he shows up and then he like has all the superheroes line up for a physical and it's yep. just like really weird. And it's like super molesty. It's just like really, it's just very, very creepy. Like the well, whole thing. I, and again, he try he, he's taking a stethoscope and he's like bending down towards black canary's vagina. And she's like, my heart's up here. And he's like, Oh, mm. it's very, very, oh, I also make house calls. Mm. It's very, very bad. Very uh, yeah. All of the Savannah stuff's pretty creepy. Um, yeah. but, uh, the Ruth Buzzy as Aunt Minerva. Ruth Buzzy, one of the great TV comedians, uh, uh, became super famous doing Rowan and Martin's Laughing. Yes, uh, she's like super, super fucking uh, famous, and uh, one of the greats. And in fact, uh, she did a character, um, uh, like an old lady character named Gladys, yeah. very yes. famous, like super famous. That is like her like iconic role, yeah. and um, she and sort then- of does it here. Yes, and also Carrie Fisher plays her on 30 Rock. Does she? Carrie Fisher plays, basically, yeah, she's a, a an actress writer for a show that's not laughing, but it's like laughing, and they bring her on to, to write ske- sketches because Liz Lemon's like, she was my hero, and then it turns out she's terrible. She's just <laughs> dealing with her. It's got one of, that episode's got one of the greatest lines of all time where it's a... Uh, uh, Jack Donahue says to Liz Lemon, he's like, you didn't follow the rules, Liz. Never follow a hippie to a second location. Well, that is one of the great lines. Yeah, I know that yep. one. Yeah. I've yeah. seen that episode. I don't remember it, but I've seen that episode. Yeah. Um, uh, Ruth Buzzy, one of the greats, uh, really, really an icon. I think she's pretty good here as Aunt Minerva. Yeah, she does a good job. She does a good job. The most insane thing is this is a real character. The most insane thing is that this is a real character and they do a sequence from the comics. <laughs> It's like pretty comic accurate. <laughs> yeah. Where she tries to marry Captain Marvel by gunpoint. It's crazy. Yeah. And w- which is, as I sent it to you, the cover of Shazam number 10, 1974. Yeah, did, did you know that she was a Shazam character? Yes. Yes. She only appeared in like 13 comics. Yeah. She was not, she didn't appear too often, but yeah, she's, but, she, and she's one of the old ones. She's like, she's been around forever, but she's just not used very often. Because it's like, it's an old lady. <laughs> it's a weird villain. It's just for, an old lady who wants Marvel. to fuck Captain Marvel. Yeah, yeah. That's her whole bit, right? Yeah, and Captain Marvel being like, but I'm a kid. <laughs> so it's all very weird. Well, that's just really funny. In this bit where she, um, she indicates that she fucked Batman, first of all. Oh, no, it's not indicated. She fucked Batman. But what's really incredible is that Robin's really jealous Robin's so upset by it. Yeah. He's so jealous. He's like, Batman, yeah. you told me that nothing happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's wild. Um, she goes and down it was quite a long time here. ago too. Cause she says you gave Robin a quarter to go to the movies. And we had that night in the Batcave, and Robin's like, Oh my goodness. So it is truly crazy. Um, yeah. this is the sequence though that really highlights that the women on this episode have nothing to do. Because yes. she goes down the line of all the male superheroes. By the way, most of whom have nothing to do either. So this is not just the women. Yeah. Um, Hawkman's whole thing he does, he screams three times in the episode. That's his whole yep. thing he does. Yeah. Uh, at least Green Lantern gets to do like a stunt fall. Yes, when, Green Lantern gets to have a fight, right? Uh, the Flash, Flash gets to have a fire in front of him for like three minutes. 
And he gets rained on too. He gets rained on. Yeah. He does this whole bit where he like super speeds and then uh, makes the rain fall on Weather Wizard, thus, yeah. thus beating him. Yes. But anyway, in this scene, uh, Aunt Minerva goes through all the male superheroes and doesn't even address the women, and none of them have anything to say about this. Nope. nope. And I don't even mean this in terms of like how do they not have women? How dare they silence women? It just feels like there's jokes here. It's just there's weird. Jokes. Yeah. It's one of these women standing up to Aunt Minerva or something. It feels like there's a joke opportunity here that they're just not yep. taking. Nope. No, but she nothing. goes. She settles on Captain Marvel, and actually, in a very good bit that it feels very canonical and accurate, but they don't really make a big deal out of it. Is that he begins like weeping? Yes. Uh, because he is a little boy. <laughs> he is a twelve-year-old boy. Yeah. And the thing is, they don't actually ever make that. There's like a moment like where Savannah has him say Shazam that I thought they were for sure going to do it. They're going to make him turn into a boy. Yeah, yeah, They don't do so. it. And then no. they don't do it here, but it's the undercurrent of yes. the whole thing. And so if yeah. you know anything about Captain Marvel, you know that he's a 12-year-old boy. Yeah, you know this is very uncomfortable and weird. Um, and he starts crying. He's like really crying, and it's like pretty weird. And then she says Shazam, and she turns into a babe. Yes. And then Captain Marvel's like, maybe I will marry you. And she's like, nope, no, no more of that. I'm off my own. See, I think it's it's so clear this is better than the first one. I agree. This one moves better. It, it moves much better. Like, Which like, is amazing because it's all just one location. So it's right, very it's just shocking. one location. Yeah. Is, there's, 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 there's no movement. And, and much of it's super repetitive. Like that whole Solomon Grundy bit with Ed McMahon where they keep coming back to Swamp. And yet another yeah. attempt at doing a vaudeville Abbott and Costello routine yeah. um, is so repetitive yeah. and so tedious yeah. that it's like kind of unreal. Uh, but even that's more enjoyable than most of the stuff that Solomon Grundy had to do in the first episode. Yes. They even in this one, they do the shaking hands and it hurts thing twice in a row in like three minutes. Twice in a row. It's totally true. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and they literally do it in like three minutes. I was like, this, are you kidding me? You just did this joke. Like, like, did you guys do a second draft of the script or did you just like, pump it out in 20 minutes be like we're done good to go yeah. yeah it's 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 pretty it's pretty crazy yeah um that's like most of it though right we've really covered most of it at this point uh Mordrew does the song yeah is there anything yeah, on we're missing we didn't talk about weather wizard although what he, is there to talk about his thing is weird because he's the first character on the roast and then all he does is talk about himself he just talks about himself he takes like credit for weather stuff and then creates i guess a tornado inside and messes everything up that goes on forever by the way that goes on so long it goes on forever it's like really weird uh and you can watch the backdrop shake yes yeah well Well, i also like that like the toilet paper that they have flying around gets stuck (laughs) on the lights on on the ceiling lights i was like okay catch fire (laughs) catch fire yep uh, there's two, there's a couple of good bits with the set because in that bit, when the, there had all the fans going, you could just see the fucking backdrop just wobbling, but yeah. also I, uh, more drew blows up all of the columns behind them. Yep. And, but what's incredible is that it's like a minute and a half of him blowing it's up so one slow. column after another. It just takes, and they just sit there staring at him while it happens. Yep. And I, I know this is not like a real thing. Like I get this is not a serious thing, but even within the realm of comedy, it is ludicrous to watch all of these superheroes stare at him as he one at a time slowly blows up each of the columns behind them. Yes. Yeah. 
He, well, it, I mean, if we want to talk about like reality of this kind of thing, that it opens up with Ed McMahon being like, whatever problems the, the Earth faces today, the heroes can't help because they're at a roast and we've got their villains here to roast them. And it's like, you invited the villains to the Justice League's base? <laughs> like, like, can we discuss this for a minute? This is insane. It's and nobody, terrible. like, there's, if there's an Earth shattering event, the, the Justice League's going to be like, no, sorry, we're, we're taking the night off. We're having a roast. Yeah. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. <laughs> totally it's such a crazy concept. Like, yeah. like it's funny because you could do this the same thing and you could have the, the supervillains capture the heroes and do a yes. roast. Like you could do Oddly that. enough, there's an episode of the Batman and the Brave and the Bold show animated series where Joker, Riddler, and like a bunch of different Batman villains, they they take uh, Roastmaster Jeffrey Ross hostage and force him to do a roast about Batman. So there you go. I mean that, like, yeah, that. I'm sure. I'm sure they're probably partially riffing on this thing. By the way, I imagine so. Yeah. Um, but I felt that this was a much better movie, show I should say, than the than the first one. I, I it's it's funny because this is the one that I've seen the most and I have enjoyed the most, and it really just hits a lot of because it is. So the thing is that the first one is just miserable. I think it's just miserable, and it has the miserable feeling of like um, bad late night comedy sketches. Uh, but this has the feeling of bad 1965 um, vaudeville and 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 stage comedy yeah. that I find fascinating. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can watch people be bad this way for hours, and the I one, find I wish it had that thing that does not exist anymore, but existed at this time where they would do these kinds of things and like you know obviously they don't have the budget for this, but like uh, 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 what's his name would come out. Not uh, Jerry Lewis, but his, uh, Dean Martin would come out drunk and like be doing his bit, but they'd all be laughing through it all because he's screwing up the lines and they're all just kind of like goofing around like that kind of stuff. Like that's clearly what they were kind of hoping for in some fashion, I think, but it just does not happen. Well, what's funny is that they decided to go with Ed McMahon instead of like creating a character. Like you could have created a Dean Martin character yeah. and had somebody play him, but they decided to go with Ed McMahon, and that must have cost them a buck. I would think so. I would that think must so. have cost them a buck, like yeah. for sure. And so that's why I think what's really interesting to me is that they decided that Ed McMahon was valuable enough to spend the money on. Yeah, because they did not spend a lot of money anywhere else in this. No. No, they did not. Maybe that's why uh, Riddler couldn't come back because they they were like we they can't just, afford both of them. They, yeah, they 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 definitely couldn't. They definitely had the the famous guest star budget, and it was Gorshin one time and Ed McMahon the next time. Yeah, and then I'm sure Ruth Buzzy cost a penny, but I mean, yeah. I mean maybe, yeah. maybe not. I mean, what what do I know about these people's quotes back in 1979? But that is going to be. Yeah, I think that's it, right? We we covered the whole thing. Because there's like no order to this. Like there's no way to do it like as like a, a recap because there's no order to this. No. I, I mean it's, it's weird that Black Canary and Hunters have nothing to do. Nobody the talks time. to them? Well, the, Dr. Savannah does and he just tries to molest both of them. Dr. Savannah does and then um, Captain Marvel asks Black Canary if she's okay after the wind yes. gust. But that's it. Like nobody else even notices they're there. No, no. And it's real weird. You know, it's like it's strange that they don't get a bit when everybody else gets a bit. So that's, you know, that's weird. 
Like maybe they had a bit and got cut out. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. I can't imagine they even bother fucking writing bits for these people because I mean, they, it's just, it's just 1970s misogyny. Like there's just nothing. They don't think these people, these characters are interesting. Yeah. I mean, they, they barely use them in the challenge. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's it. They just, they just, I don't even know if Huntress talks in the challenge. She has one line in this at least. I don't know if she, yeah, she her line or her quiver. Um, I don't know if she talks. In, she must talk in the challenge. She must say something. I feel like I don't know. Um, I can't remember. But like Black Canary is one line in this. I think right. She uh, says like I'm, I'm okay or something like that. When she Captain says Marvel I'm okay asks. when Captain Marvel asks her, and then with uh, oh she says my 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 heart is up here. Yeah, my so heart is up here. Yeah. It's like yeah, they definitely just did not bother with the women in this. Nope. Which like honestly, like I'm sure the women are fine with. <laughs> I mean, nobody's nobody's jockeying about my reel. Yeah, nobody's jockeying for more time on this bullshit. Like, there's just yeah. no way that you are. Um, yeah. Although, I guess, like, when you're actually a working actor in 1979, you definitely want more. You want to be. You're on a fucking TV show. You want like to have more to do. I guess. Yeah. But like, yeah. really, like looking back, it's like whatever. Yeah, it's pretty um, bad. But uh, so that is going to be the end of that, right? We're 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 done. We're done. I've got one last thing to say about it. What is that? Make mine Marvel. <laughs> this ruined my love for DC Comics. These two, these two shows. Um, so we still are a couple of weeks away from Ms. Marvel debuting. Yep. So we have to figure out what to do with this po- this podcast. We decided to keep it going as opposed to giving it a rest, which we've done in the past. Well, one thing I saw is Tubi's well, got a lot of different superhero stuff on it. It does, but you had a great idea last week, so I'm going to go with your great idea. Okay. And um, if you listen to the show. You probably like Marvel stuff, and you're probably curious about our thoughts on some Marvel movies or superhero movies, and we don't talk about it here. No. Nope. We, 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 we try, to, try to keep as mum as possible on this stuff because we have a different podcast where uh, subscribers at the Patreon at the $5 and above level get to hear us talk about this stuff. So next week, we're going to take an old episode of Watchmen, our monthly superhero deep dive podcast, and we're going to put it up in this feed, and you're going to get a chance to listen to it. And you're going to get a chance to sort of see what this thing is all about and to maybe consider that you might like to uh, subscribe. And if you're not, uh, if you already subscribed to that, this is our free podcast. So I kind of don't feel super bad about um, taking a week to do that. Uh, But then we'll be back again the week after. And uh, we got a comment on the last episode that I feel like I feel very strongly about. And I want to run this by you live on the show. Okay. Um, we had promised the people more Incredible Hulk TV movies. We did, yes. So I think we should do Trial of the Incredible Hulk as the next new episode. Uh, okay. I think that just seems fair to me because we had that had been the plan. That had been we, the plan. No, so, I, we we made a promise to the, to the nice people at home. Yeah, and so I feel like I would really like um, I would really like to to do that. I would like to do our next live episode. New episode is going to be the trial of the incredible Hulk, but next week is going to be an episode of watchmen. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure which episode we're going to do just yet. Do you have an idea which, which one we should, it should be a a much older one. I would figure just the very first one, right? What was our first one again? I have no idea. I think it It might've been Snyder cut Snyder. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do the Snyder cut. It's our very first episode. It's fucking endlessly long. It's very long. Um, and then also for people who are, are been giving to the Patreon, it's not like, oh, you're doing one you just did. 
No, yeah, it has you know, to be like yeah. it has to be because th- that show's a year old now at this point, and so yeah. I, I would like to let people listen to a uh, an episode that uh, that yeah is a little bit older. Yeah. Um, so that that seems that seems pretty reasonable to me. Yeah. And and with the Snyder you know the Snyderverse being brought back any day now, this is perfect timing to put it out there this for the perfect people. timing to get everybody remembering what the Snyderverse is all about. Yeah. This so will put it over week, the edge for Warner Brother Discovery. They're like, like what Marvel Vision and it's. 12 listeners. Well, now we have to do it. (laughs) So next week, it's going to be a very lengthy episode, uh, about, uh, Zack Snyder's justice league, his, the Snyder cut. And then the week after is going to be back with the trial of the incredible Hulk. And then, uh, we're going to move forward until Ms. Marvel debuts. We're going to go back to new stuff when Ms. Marvel debuts. Does that sound good to you? Yeah. And then not too long after Ms. Marvel is she Hulk. We got stuff going. We're moving along. We're moving along. Mm-hmm. All right, Derek, where can they find you on the internet? They can find me on Twitter at WH underscore Woolhat. And if you already know that you're interested in subscribing to Watchmen or our other show, The Bad Batch, you can go to the Patreon right now. It's www.patreon.com slash cinemasanga, S-A-N-G-H-A, and subscribe at the $5 or above level. You get Watchmen and also The Bad Batch, our weekly Star Wars TV show. And that's going to be yeah, we're we're like two weeks from Obi Wan Kenobi debuting. Yes, so that's gonna be big shit. Not even that's next week. Is it next week? Yeah, it's next Friday, twenty seventh. Wow, it's so soon. Yeah, so we're gonna have that. We're gonna have Obi Wan Kenobi coming up on that show in two weeks. One, we have one more week of Rebels, right? Yes. And this week, and then next week, it's Obi Wan Kenobi. It sounds amazing. All right, we'll see you guys again uh, in two weeks for a new one, and then next week you'll get to hear us do some old stuff. And until then, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you be safe, may you be well, but most of all, may you remain a true believer.